Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. What a privilege today to add to our teaching team, Kathy Grace Mulkey. First of all, I was not here last week to express gratitude for the beauty of the building, Uh, the lobby, the windows, the auditorium. Everything is so beautiful. Today is the advent of hope. I don't know about you, but there are things in my life that I've hoped for that did not quite turn out the way that I had thought that they would. Has anyone else ever experienced that? I consider myself to be the assistant to the Holy Spirit that never listens to my ideas. But, nonetheless, so I have a picture for you uh, that Brother Mike is going to put on of what we expect. Oh, that's the wrong picture, Mike. You ruined my whole idea. Mike, you ruined the whole moment. The whole point of it is we expect it to look like a perfect little family, which we have a picture of, of the children sitting on Santa's lap, nicely and sweetly smiling at the cameraman and getting a peppermint stick on their way off of Santa's lap. Now you can put up my picture. This is my grandchildren's view and what we thought we would get, but we did not. That is London Brave and Willow. And at their home is a mantle of every year that they have had a Santa experience, and they all look like that. With COVID, it'll be my grandchildren's greatest desire. They don't have to get anywhere near him. (laughs) Have you ever hoped for something and it just didn't happen? I hoped to be tall like my parents and thin. That did not happen. I expected to be pregnant with a cute little bump right in the front of me that looked like a little basketball with adorable maternity clothes. That's how I hoped I would look in my pregnancies. What I looked like, I was pregnant from the neck to the feet. (laughs) The definition, the definition, have you ever hoped that school would open and you're still stuck with homeschool? (laughs) 2020, thank you. Have you ever hoped for never having another 2020 again? Amen, amen. The definition of hope. And Larry, you had some of these, so please interrupt me, please. He's tag-teaming me, but it seems like I'm the only one here. Um, (laughs) The dictionary says the definition of hope is the feeling that what is wanted can be had. Say that, can be had. It can be had. Or the events will turn out for the best. In the New Testament, Paul used hope quite a bit. He clung to it. He encouraged the churches that he wrote to to cling to hope. The Greek meaning that he meant was, I look back at what I've either witnessed happened before, or I look back and I see how God has rescued me before or done something for me before. And because I've seen in the past that he did, 
that he's done a miracle or he's provided or he's healed or whatever it is I've hoped for. I've seen it happen to someone else even. I know I can have hope that he will do it for me. My favorite song, which I'm pretty sure you as a church have come to know, is Do It Again. I know you can do it again, not just for someone else. Have you ever hoped for a child and you could not get pregnant? That was my sweet mama. Nine years of, I believe she ended up with at least seven miscarriages, one death of birth, at birth, and then me. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Do you hope for enough funds to make it? Not just through the end of the month, but for better days of provision? Do you hope? Do you have hope that has been disappointed in a prodigal that hasn't returned yet? I know that we've prayed as a church for many of you for your prodigals to return. Are you discouraged because it hasn't happened yet and lost hope? I have a story to tell you. 2 Kings 4, verse 8. Thank you, Brother Mike. One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem, and a wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, He would stop there for something to eat. One of the greatest things to find hope is, is to urge. Elijah, Elisha represented the presence of God. She urged him. She felt something special in her home when he would arrive. She urged him to come and be with her. Verse 9, she said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, and a chair, and a lamp. Then he'll have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One of the things this dear woman did who had, had didn't even realize she needed hope, didn't even know there was going to be a future for her, had a heart for the kingdom, a heart for God. So she built a place for the holy. She built a place in her home for the presence of God. Every time he'd walk in the door, she'd go, yep, there's that fresh breath. (laughs) Verse 11, one day Elisha returned to Shunem, and when he went up to his upper room that she had built for him to rest, he said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. In my words, I'm fine. I have a Nordstrom's credit card that my husband's provided. And I have a gift card to Hobby Lobby, so all is really very well. Verse 14, later Elisha asked Gehazi, what can I do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son. And her husband is an old man. Verse 15, call her back again. Elisha told him when the woman returned, Elisha said to her, as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Don't mess with my head. I've had one negative birth announcement what do they call those tests i should know i did it once the 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 strips to find out if you're pregnant i've done it over and over again and it's come back negative don't mess with my head i've moved on i've dealt with the grief I've, i've even been mad but put it behind me i'm moving on i'm finding other things to do with my life don't mess with my head and cause me to have false hope 
Verse 17, but sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant, and at that time the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha said. One day when her child was older, verse 18, he went out to help his father, who was working with the harvesters, and suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to the servants, carry him home to his mother. This was the official first example of go ask your mother. Verse 20, so the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. Watch this. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. Now, I want you to know what I would have done. I would have called everyone flailing and groaning, and I would have begun to plan the funeral. I would have hired all of the wailers and mourners, which is what they did in the culture of that day. And I'd have sat on my porch weeping and wailing that God had forsaken me and my second chance of hope has died and it is over. It is over. That's what I would have done. Look, this great woman. She placed this boy in what to her was holy. She didn't even put him in his own bedroom. She put him in the room of the man of God. If the man of God stayed there, then God's presence was going to be in that room too. She didn't have a weeping, wailing wall. The bed she made for the prophet is where she ended putting her promise that needed a resurrection. So phenomenal. Just a fantastic thought. And I I really hesitate to interrupt you. In recent months, Pastor Michael, I think maybe George, and I tried to grab the uh, coattails of that team. How many remember we talked about the secret place. And as we were batting this back and forth, what this holy woman teaches us before sheetrock is that we build, well, for you and I, it's the secret place. She built a place for heartache before heartache ever came. As Grace likes to say, flail about the cabin, uh, that uh, not her, but People, when you know this is what I'm taking to the Lord in prayer, you have a place for it, and it's like we have shared, the cab of the truck pulled over at noon, the coffee table, your bedroom, maybe leaning against a place in in your home where, where maybe music's playing, maybe it's not, that is your upper room. That is your, you don't have to remodel your physical house. But that place that we've earmarked, that chair, that time of the day, that's what I'm preparing. And there is a lamp, the Holy Spirit. There is a chair, God's presence, and he's welcome there. This godly woman, pre-built a place to take her grief. I use the phrase flail about the cabin because in years gone by, there was pictures of what would happen in an airplane when it lost pressure. And in the olden days, you didn't have to wear your seatbelts all the time. And if that happened, if the plane would drop because maybe a larger plane was in front and it sucked it and it has a sudden drop, literally people have hit their head in concussions because it went down and you went up. And then flailing all over the place, luggage is going everywhere. That's what I have a tendency to do. When my disappointment, my hope, something I'd hoped would happen and it didn't happen, something I'd hoped would happen and it didn't come true, 
I just gave up. She shut the door and left him there. Verse 22. She sent a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Verse 23. Why go today, he asked. It's neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, it will be all right. Are you freaking kidding me? Say that with me. Not, are you freaking kidding me? Say. (laughs) This is why he doesn't let me do this often. It, no, it's not his fault. I don't do it often. It will be all right. Say it again. It will be all right. Something about saying that out loud shifts things, does it not? I would tend to say, all hell has broke loose. I don't want to talk about it right now. Just give me the donkey. So she saddled up the donkey. Say that. Saddled up the donkey and said to the servant, hurry. Don't slow down unless I tell you. And just saying, I've not been on a donkey. I have been on a horse on a trot. Donkeys are worse. Much worse. It was not a Budweiser horse. Neither was it a Tennessee walker. That was one rough ride for 18 miles. It was 18 miles from her home to where Elisha was staying at Mount Carmel. That was a tough one. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, verse 20, verse 25, Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her coming in the distance and he said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband and your child? Yes, the woman replied. Everything is fine. Say that. Everything is fine. Words of faith. That's just flat words of faith. It was not true on any level. It was words of faith. Everything is fine. What would I say if I were her? I'm going to choke you when I get to you. I told you don't mess with my head. Verse 27. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain... She fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi began to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone. She's deeply troubled. But the Lord has not told me what it is. In deep grief, when we know that there's no chance or we feel that it is over, to fall at the feet of Jesus and just hold them. Just hold on to them. The only thing this dear woman knew to do was to get to him. That's the only thing she knew to do. That was her only answer was get to the man of God. In our world, we have the throne of God, as Larry said, the secret place. Verse 28. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I say don't deceive me and get my hopes up? I asked you not to mess with my head. Now my grief is worse because I have lost what I never knew I, didn't, I hadn't missed. Verse 29, then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel, take my staff and go, and don't talk to anyone along the way, go quickly. Lay the staff on the child's face. Verse 30, but the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with him. One of the things that was brought to me in the study of this beautiful, powerful story is the fact that one of the reasons why she would not go back without Elisha, back to her son, is because she remembered a testimony that she had heard a number of years ago when Elijah was still here on earth. And a dear widow had a son that had died. And Elijah laid on the child, face, eyes, nose, hands, And brought the child back to life. This woman is now under the 
authority of the spiritual leader of Elisha, the mentor E of Elijah. She heard the testimonies. Man, did you hear about that wonderful healing of the Shulamite woman? Did you hear what Elijah did? What the God of Elijah did? He rose his child, rose this widow's child from the dead. That's going through her little head. You're coming back with me to my house. I'm not letting Gehazi go put a staff on him. You're coming back with me. You're going to help me. Verse 31, Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face. Nothing happened. There was no sign of life, and he returned to meet Elisha and told him, the child is dead. There is no hope. It's over. It's not going to work out. Are any of those three sentences something you've ever said, either to yourself or out loud? I have. It's over. Oh, I love my Lord. Verse 32, when Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed, the bed that was prepared for the holy, God's presence. He went in alone, verse 33, and shut the door behind him, and he prayed to the Lord. Then he laid down on the child's body, just like he'd learned from his uh, predecessor, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm. Verse 35, Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room one time, and then stretched himself out again on the child. And this time, the child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Verse 36, then Elisha summoned Gehazi, call the child's mother, he said. And when she came in, Elisha said to her, here, take your son. And she fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. How can you and I have hope when it's obvious that it is over? Here is a fun fact. It's not. When we have had silence, Michael, that song, Waymaker, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. You never stop working. Even when you feel it is over, it is not. And for those of you that feel like, yes, you have not experienced the death of a husband, death of a child, I have not. I have experienced the death of parents and in-laws. But what I do know is that when that's over for us, it's heaven for them. So it's not over. It's just not over. We will see them again. But on earth, when we have hope for things, and it hasn't come to pass There's nothing more wearisome and emotionally draining than lost hope. I want to speak to you today. None of us are worthy of all that God has done, but only Satan has put a tattoo on us that says we are not worthy to have what we hope for come to truth. It will come to life. What to do when my hope has died? Well, apparently, according to this woman, I do not get to sit in my pity chair on the front door and call all of the people to come and wail and weep with me. I cannot sit and fuss. I cannot moan and mourn. I cannot feel sorry for myself, which I can do so well. Maybe you all are just perfect and you don't have that problem. What I have learned from this woman and what I'm going to work forward the rest of my life is to do as she did. She got up and she saddled her ass for you. Ass is in the King James. She saddled her donkey. 
I am not going to sit still. I am not going to mope. I am not going to roll around and look down. I'm going to do something. I'm going to saddle up my donkey and get myself into the presence of God and pray. Move toward his presence. <laughs> I loved what she did. She put her hope that it died right in his, it, right, right there, right in front of, of God. There it is. You deal with this. You take care of this. I'm reminded of the king in the Old Testament that was at war, and he got a nasty letter from the enemy king that said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to burn all your houses. I'm going to kill your children. I'm going to take your wives. And he wrote this long letter, and the king went and laid it on the altar in the temple and said, God, read this. Do you see what he said to me? Read this. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. I'm going to take it and put it in the presence of God. I will not listen to the lies of the enemy. Baby, if you have something, please stop me. What to do when our hope has died? I'm not going to have a pity chair ever again. I'm going to place my death of my hope only in a place where resurrection can happen. She took him to the room of the presence of God, and only in the presence of God can resurrection bring back your hope. That's the only place. A, a counselor can help. A friend can lift you up. But only in the presence of God can hope be brought back to you and restore to you what was lost. What can I do when I have given up? The challenge for us is, is when we feel like God is silent or he has said no to our hope or nothing has moved on our behalf, And things are getting worse. The prodigal is behaving worse. The finances are harder. The light at the tunnel is truly the gas is run out on the lantern. One of the most difficult things to do in those moments is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. It seems simplistic. But the alternative of that is wailing and flailing about the cabin. It can't help anything. It can't do anything. I would encourage you to do that. Again, one of the last points I have is speaking words of life. And I want to be this way. I want to be this way. How are you doing? Fine. How are things going with your finances? Well, there's two options to tell you. It sucks or it's going to get better. Say it with me. It's going to get better. There's a phrase I have, and I've had to use it a lot recently with my youngest. Better days are coming. Say that with me. Better days are coming. I say that when I come to church, and it's COVID Sundays. And I sit on the front row, and I think, oh, dear Jesus, where is our flock? Have some wandered away? Have someone just just quit? Are some filled with fear? Better days are coming. Say that with me. Better days are coming. And also, in my final point, what you hoped for may not be exactly coming to you as you thought it would be. I want to share with you a story. Brother Mike, if you put a picture of baby Johnny. My daughter went to college with Sarah at at Pepperdine. Best of friends have remained best of friends. And uh, Sarah married a a professional soccer player and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful couple. 
and they could not get pregnant. They tried and tried and tried. Uh, physically, both of them were unable to help bring a child of their own into the world. She gave up hope, and then she'd heard about, oh, there's this adoption agency, and it works with babies in Ethiopia. So she began to save money aside. Her and her husband, they were good income. They saved money aside, and they began to work toward adopting a child in Ethiopia because what she'd hoped for didn't come to pass. And this little baby, Johnny, that's soon after they brought him home from Ethiopia. Johnny was born in a small community, farm area in Ethiopia, and um, he was found by a farmer on this farmer's land. He was working, and he heard a baby screaming and crying, an infant. And he followed the sound because it was like, what's going on? And when he found the baby, the baby was laid naked on top of a grave, fully a fully a fresh dug grave of the mother. The mother had died, and the father didn't couldn't pick a word, take care of him. And so the father left him on top of the mother's grave to die. Um, the farmer heard the baby, picked him up in his arms, little Johnny. It wasn't Johnny. That was not his name till he came here. It took him home to his home, and he did not call the government because in Ethiopia, if a baby is not flourishing, they euthanize the infants. So he did not want to tell the government he'd found the baby. So he and her kept the baby like Moses in the bulrush till he got his health back, got strong, and then they took him to the orphanage. Whereupon, Nick and Sarah adopted little Johnny. Not quite what they'd looked like, not what they thought they'd have. They thought they'd have a light-skinned, little, blue-eyed baby. But instead, they have Johnny. Now, this is what Johnny looks like. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't what they planned. It wasn't what they originally hoped for. But our God has a way of turning things that we thought should be how they should be. And he takes things that you hope for, and then you're disappointed it didn't come to pass, and instead he restores it to even greater. God has his hand on this little boy. For the story of him to have been rescued was not an accident on that farmer's land where a grave had been dug of his mommy. Sammy is flourishing. Sammy is loving Jesus, goes to church every Sunday with Sarah and Nick. He's learning the things of God. God has a plan. God took care of two things. He took care of a dead hope in Sarah, this Sarah, not Bible Sarah. And he took care of a child that had no hope and gave him to a family that would bring him hope. That's the way our Heavenly Father works. Even when I can't see him, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, I feel empty. I feel abandoned. I feel set aside. My hope doesn't matter or I don't deserve it. He is working. And he never stops working. The God of hope. <laughs> Hope means I look back and see that God has done it for someone else before. Or he's maybe done it for me in the past, and he's going to do it again. Hope is something that can be had. And I loved the definition in the dictionary. It also said, or things that could be better. That's the part I miss. I feel like if I didn't, you know, some of us hope for a husband, and then we hope for a different husband. Sometimes we have to... Sometimes what we hope for, God knows better. Have you ever realized that God knows better? That God knows best? Um, There's a song called Defender uh, by Rita Springer, and I post it probably rather often uh, because his way is better. 
The art of surrendering. (laughs) That'd be a great picture. The art of surrendering my hope for what is better. And that's what I pray for you today. That the God of hope fills you with hope. It's an active thing to put your hope in him. It's an active thing. I encourage you to do that today. Lord, we close with this prayer before the song. and So many of us find ourselves in those bullet points that Grace shared. How important to share our exhale comments with you. She did not exhale her comments even to her husband, to her servant staff, even to Gehazi and explain and cry out her disappointment. But when she came to what Grace said represents your presence, Elijah, she poured her heart out. She was honest. Why have you betrayed me? Why have you dashed my hope? Lord, I pray today that we will take this in, this advent of hope, and as we allow hope to come in and despair to leave, we will realize my words are powerful. My words have value. I will go to you in prayer and cry out my heart, not not vertically, horizontally rather, and tell everybody how bad things are, but I will go to you in prayer, go to the secret place, go to the place prepared and say, this is my request, Lord. I thank you that hope will rise again. Amen. 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 Let's stand together.